downtown, Christmas is upon us. And I want to ask you, when you think about the Christmas season, what comes to mind? Do you think of busyness, even good busyness, the parties, the shopping, the events, the decorating? Or do you think of peace? When you think of Christmas, do you think of conflict, relational conflict, when a bunch of people get together, whether it's your work Christmas gatherings or your family reunions or your family get-togethers? Do you see conflict? Do you have pain of past conflict you've experienced at Christmas? Do you have fear of potential conflict this Christmas, or do you have peace? When you think of Christmas, do you think of things of sadness, a season where you're reminded of brokenness or loneliness or other things, or do you have peace? As we think of the Christmas season, you look down into your own heart and soul, what do you see? Do you see turmoil? Do you see worry? Do you see anxiety? Do you see fear? My friends, do you see peace in your heart and soul? We're in a season called Advent. Advent's a Latin word that means coming. It's a time for us to remember the coming of Christ and how the coming of Christ has changed us and has changed the world. Last week we saw how Christ gives us hope and how we have a message of hope to share. And we appreciate CJ sharing that and challenging us so faithfully on that. Today we come to the topic of peace. How the coming of Christ has everything to do with peace. And friends, that can honestly be a challenge for many of us. Because Christmas for a lot of us is not a time of peace. It's a time of busyness, of conflict, of sadness, or a whole host of other emotions. But friends, I want you to see this morning from God's Word that peace is why Jesus came. In fact, I want you to see one idea from God's Word this morning. simply this. Jesus has come to glorify God by giving us peace. Friends, what I want us to realize this Christmas season is Christ has come to glorify God. And he, one of the ways he glorifies God is by giving you and I as his children peace. Friends, if you're a child of God, his plan is not for your heart to be in turmoil this Christmas season. It's not for you to be full of stress and worry. It's for you to have peace in your heart and your soul. Friends, as amazing as that is, what he came to do is much bigger than just you or me. You see, Christmas is not just about what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for you. It's about a much grander story about the glory of God, how Jesus came to show the glory of God, to show off the majesty, the greatness, the power, of the amazing worth of God. And friends, those are not polar opposites. It's not whether it's about my peace and my experience with God or whether it's about God's glory. It's about both. And what you see from God's word this morning, that God gets glory when we find peace because of what Christ has done for us. Don't you find in God's word Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2, do you know in God's Word, there's four what we call Gospels. Gospel just means good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these tell one story, the story of who Christ is. But each one tells it from a different perspective. They're writing to different audiences. They have different themes. They have different personalities of the author. And so they have different emphases in each one of these. As we come to Luke's Gospel, and we come to the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel, we come to perhaps the most beloved of all the Christmas accounts. Because in Luke's Gospel, this is the place where you learn about the census. They caused Joseph and Mary to have to travel to Bethlehem. That's where you learn about Bethlehem. This is the account where we learn about Jesus being put in the manger after he was born. This is the account where we find the shepherds in the field and the shepherds coming to see Jesus. A lot of those beloved details of the Christmas story come from Luke's gospel. This makes it one of the most favorite of all the Christmas accounts and all the gospels for us. But with that comes a lot of familiarity. My hunch is that many of you, like me, have heard Luke 2 all of our lives since being little children. If that's the case, we become so familiar with this text, we lose the wonder of it and the wonder of what it's really about. And I pray this morning as we look at Luke chapter 2 that we will rediscover the wonder of what God has revealed to us in these pages. I pray that we would have fresh eyes to see God's glory on display because that's what really this text is about, is the glory of God being seen. But I pray as well we'll see how God's glory is seen when we have peace because this text has everything to do with us being changed and us finding peace as well. So I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. 
If you're a guest, the words will be on the screen for us also. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us, but God, you've revealed yourself to us. Lord, I thank you for this account in Luke that's so familiar to many of us. And God, I pray today that you would, by your Holy Spirit working within us, give us fresh eyes to see the wonder of this text, to see your glory on display, and to see how, Lord Jesus, you coming changes us and gives us peace regardless of our circumstances. So would you take your word and do what only you can do, Lord? Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Bring encouragement and hope where encouragement and hope is needed. Lord, just take, take your word and have your way in each of our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> And what I want you to see this morning is Jesus has come to glorify God by giving us peace. Now, first of all, realize this is an account, a historical account that Jesus has, in fact, come. You think about the Old Testament, the Jews have been longing for the Messiah, the Rescuer, the Savior to come. And there have been prophecies that told them that he would come. They told him that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be of the family of King David. And so Luke is being very specific here to make sure we understand that history is being recorded here. And it is the fulfillment of what God had said would happen. Look back at these first few verses back in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Notice the historicity of this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And I went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Luke is going to great lengths to make sure we understand that Jesus has, in fact, come. This is not a fairy tale. This is not just a nice story to give us warm fuzzies at Christmas. This is history. This has actually happened at a point in time in history. In the fullness of time, as Scripture describes it, Christ has come. But I don't want us to miss something here that's easy to pass over of the, the wonder and the glory of God on display in this. For Jesus to be born where it had been prophesied in Bethlehem, how does God get him there? God stirs the heart of a pagan king to do a census... Uh, registration, if you will, here, so that people have to go back to their hometown. 
And in the fullness of time, when the time had come that God had ordained for Christ to be born, God stirs the heart of a pagan king to do the census, and that moves Joseph and Mary at the right time so that Jesus will be born where God had ordained it would happen. It's an amazing display, even those details of the glory of God through his sovereignty. You see God glorified even in that. Friends, we use the word glory a lot. What do we mean by glory? You say we want God glorified or God is glorious. What do we mean by that? Well, in Scripture, there's really three different ways the word glory is used. This is really important as we think about the Christmas story. The first way glory is used in Scripture, God, is just as a summary of all that God is. Glory can be, God is glorious, meaning he's love and he's wrath and he's just and he's mercy and he's perfect and he's sovereign and holy and so much more. It's the sum total of who God is. And Christ has come to show us the glory of God, to show us the fullness of who God is and all of his attributes. The second way in scripture the word glory is used, and that's to refer to God's honor, to God's worth. In other words, his reputation. And that's another reason why Christ came, to show us the glory of God, to show us how worthy God is, to show us how amazing the Father is, to show the, the reputation of God. There's a third way the word glory is used in Scripture, and that's to refer to brilliance and to majesty, to literally a light, a brightness in the presence of God because of who He is, the sum total of His attributes. And we see even a glimpse of that aspect of glory here in this text. Go back to verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Literally, there was the glory of the Lord. There was a brightness in the sky, not because there was nice big flashlights or LED lights shining out there. This was God's presence, and there's literally brightness, not from any sun or moon or star. Literally, God himself created brightness here. His glory was on display. And when the shepherds see the brightness, the glory of God, notice what happens, this last phrase of verse 9. They were filled with great fear. As we think of the Christmas story, if you put out your nativity like I do, you have all these cute little shepherds, they're little sheep looking real tender, you know, walking to the, to the manger scene, and all smiling, looking happy. Shepherds were tough people. They were out there with staffs fighting off wolves and dangerous animals. They were tough guys out there. And this light appears in the sky, not from any star or moon, just light appears because of the presence of God, and they are trembling. These tough men are trembling with fear when they encounter the glory of the Lord. And as they encounter the glory of the Lord, the brightness of him, and then they go, and we're not going to reread all of it, they go back and they see Christ. They follow where the angels have told them. They see Christ in the manger. They begin to understand who this is. This is, in fact, the Messiah. They begin to see the glory of God, his honor, his worth, his reputation, and who he is. And what do they do? Verse 20. Go back to the, one of the last verses we read today. What happens after they encounter not just the brightness of the glory of God, but the glory of God on display there in the manger? Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And friends, this is amazing to think about. When we encounter the glory of God, we worship in response. We glorify God in response. And just to be clear, when we talk about glorifying God, friends, we're not adding to the glory of God. God is already fully glorious. He doesn't need our praise to gain glory. He's not up in heaven being like, oh, I really hope someone will praise me today so I can, so I can be glorious. God is fully glorious all the time. Nothing can diminish or increase his glory. He's fully glorious all the time. But yet, in an amazing way, when we encounter that glory, we can bring him glory when we praise him in response. And that's exactly what the shepherds do here. Back in verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. What they heard and seen? They heard and seen the glory of God, and they glorify him, they worship him, they praise him in response. It's all about God's glory. But friends, it's not just the shepherds who encounter the glory of God and respond by worshiping him. The angels do also. We think about this for a minute. The angels that have appeared here to the shepherds to announce, to herald that Christ has come. 
Do you realize these were angels who had been with God since creation, since he created them? These were angels who had seen the glory of Christ in heaven. These are angels who had seen him in all of his majesty. If you will, they've seen him with unveiled faces, something none of us have been able to experience. They've seen him in all of his majesty and all of his power. They've seen him reigning. They've seen him as he is in all of his glory. And then what did these angels see happen? Well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. I want you to see that up on the screen. Philippians 2, 6. These angels who've been bowing at the feet of Christ in heaven now see Christ, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But verse 7 read if you can push this for there you go. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then verse 8, says he being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And so you realize that the angels who are heralding Christ's birth are the ones who've been bowing at his feet, seeing him in all of his glory. And then they, can you imagine them stepping back in heaven, seeing him humble himself. And the one they've been worshiping since creation, who is all glorious, they've seen him all his glory, now has humbled himself and has become a baby in the womb of a lady named Mary. They've seen him then born, the one they've been bowing his feet in heaven, seeing the radiance of the brightness around him, seeing all of his holiness. Now they see him. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, they've now seen this one they've been bowing before, verse 7, wrapped in swaddling cloths and being laid in a manger. That's going to be incredible. For thousands of years, these angels have seen the full glory of Christ on display. And now they see him humbling himself and becoming a baby wrapped in cloths with a diaper on being put in a manger. And what do they do when they see the glory of God on display? When they see redemption happening as Christ humbles himself, how do the angels respond? They go, wow, people are so amazing. Look at God's love for people. Aren't people great? It's not about us, friends. Angels don't look at Christ humbling himself to come to us and think, wow, these people are so special. What do they do in response? Go back to Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And there suddenly was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. They see Christ come. They see the one they've been worshiping now humbled himself in human form. And they praise God saying, what do they praise God for? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom... He is pleased. They praise God when they see Christ humbling himself. They worship him in response. But don't miss something here. They they worship him for a particular part of his attributes. They worship him for his glory, his brightness, his character. Then notice the last part of verse 14. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is a verse that highlights the sovereignty of God. The angels are worshiping Christ for his sovereignty. That he has come, he's humbled himself to become a man, to fulfill the law, to go to the cross, to take the punishment we deserve so that a people could be restored to a right relationship to God, a people that God will choose for himself. They're worshiping Christ for the attribute of his sovereignty, and they're praising him in the midst of all this. Glory to God in the highest earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And they marvel at the fact that people who have been rebelling against God can now have peace, and they glorify God for it. But that raises the question... What is this peace that we're talking about? What is the type of peace that will give God glory, that will lead to shepherds worshiping God, that will lead to angels praising God? Friends, too often when we think of peace, we only think of peace as the absence of conflict. We have a very low view of peace. We see peace as just, oh good, we didn't get into a fight this time, we're together, great, we have peace. But peace is so much more than just the absence of conflict. What is the type of peace that will give God glory, that will lead to shepherds worshiping, that will lead to angels glorifying? They're not going to praise as much as this if just because there's not a fight. They're praising because peace is so much more. And I want you to see the peace that the angels are rejoicing in here is actually three types of peace that you and I can experience, that they are marveling at. 
the first type of peace that brings God glory that you and I can experience, not just at Christmas, but anytime, is peace with God. That's foundational. We talk about peace coming. We look at Luke 2.14, that there's glory to God in the highest earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The first aspect of this peace is we can have peace with God. Go for just a few pages in Luke's gospel to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Because in many places in Scripture, the word peace is synonymous with salvation. And this is one of many I could show you on this, to where peace refers to salvation, to peace with God. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. What's the context here? This is Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. And while he's there in the home of this religious leader, a woman known for her sin comes in. She cries. She cries on his feet. She washes Jesus' feet with her hair. She makes a big scene here with this. And, there's, and the religious leaders aren't very happy about this. And Jesus responds to them and, and addresses her as well. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, and this is now Jesus speaking to this woman known for her sin, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he, Jesus, said to the woman, now watch this, your faith has saved you. Go in what? Go in peace. There's a direct correlation here between faith salvation, sins forgiven, and going in peace. This is going in peace with God. This means that the sin problem that alienated her from God, the sin problem that caused her to be separated from her creator who is holy, caused her to have a void in her heart because there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every man, that caused her to run after all these things of the world in her life of sin, trying to find satisfaction that could only come in knowing God. That has been bridged finally. The simple woman now has peace with God. That hole in her heart that's been empty for so long is now filled and she has peace with God. And Jesus can say, go in peace because she now has intimacy with her creator. You see, the same thing happened just a page or two later in Luke chapter 8. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 47 and 48. Here, very similarly, but the situation here is a woman who has had a discharge of blood, who's sick, finds Jesus in a crowd, touches him, she's healed. And so Jesus addresses her Ask who it was, not because he didn't know, but because he wanted to give her a chance to step out in faith. And what happens? Luke chapter 8, verse 47. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, before Jesus declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And look at verse 48. And he, Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in what? Go in peace. Again, there's this correlation here between peace with God and having forgiveness. In fact, Paul describes it later, when you see on the screen, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, which is what we've seen in these last two texts, we have faith with God, we're justified, we're saved, we're forgiven. We also have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation, friends, is not just, I'm praying a prayer so I don't go to hell. Salvation is, I'm trusting in Christ. He forgives me of my sins. He justifies me. He brings me into a relationship with Him, and I have peace with God. This is what we sing about, what we've seen in Ephesians. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. We can have peace with God so much that we can sit down at the table of our Creator, the one who we were once his enemy because we had offended Him with our sin. We can now sit at His table as His friend because we have peace with Him. And when we encounter peace with our Creator, it brings God great glory. How? Because it shows something happiness impossible for us to do. We could never, as sinful humanity, ever, ever, ever get to God on our own. So what happens that the angels were marveling at? God comes in flesh. The one who spoke the world into being is now a baby lying in a manger, but who will grow up and fulfill the law and never sin and go to the cross in our place. And he does what we cannot do. And so when sinful people 
respond to God's call and we trust him as our savior and we follow him and and begin to submit our lives to him, God gets great glory because it shows something that was impossible for man, but that was possible for God. And the angels watch on as as broken humanity like us is redeemed and they worship God for it. And we who are his enemies now get to worship him and become ones who praise him and give him glory because he has made us one, he's made us reconciled to him. Friends, Jesus came to glorify God by giving us peace with God, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus came to glorify God by also giving us peace within ourselves. Let's go back to my opening questions. If we are children of God, he's come not just so we can pray a prayer and not go to hell. He's come so that we can know him, know the God of all peace, and have peace with our own hearts as well. I want you to see on, on the screen John chapter 14, verse 27. This is Jesus talking. We looked at this last year when we were working through the gospel of John. But Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now remember the context of what's going on here. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going away. And they're not really excited about this news. They don't like the thought of, wait, 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 we've only had a few years here. Come on, what are you talking about? You're going away and you're leaving us and you're sending us out. They're not happy about this. They don't understand the circumstances of life they're in. It's not the way they would have chosen for their life to go. But in the midst of life not making sense to them, Jesus tells them, my peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Friends, if you and I have peace with God, out of that flows we can have peace within our own hearts, regardless of how broken life is, regardless of what circumstances we're facing around us. Friends, what's going to happen at Christmas to you, whatever situation you may be walking into, it may not be the way you wanted your life to happen, but if you're a follower of Christ, you have peace with God. He says, my peace I leave with you. You can have peace in your heart this Christmas. Now, how do you experience that type of peace this Christmas season? Well, Philippians chapter 4, I want you to see it on the screen, or you're welcome to turn there as well. But Philippians chapter 4 lets us see how we can experience peace practically in our lives because of our relationship with the God of all peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes when life is good at Christmas. Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. It doesn't matter if it's a good Christmas season or a bad Christmas season. It doesn't matter if it's if life circumstantially seems easy or seems stressful. We can rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what circumstances of life, no matter what brokenness is around us. The command is we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How can Paul be so confident that we can rejoice always? Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Friends, I think we all need that this Christmas season. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then verse 7, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, the hope for us, not just at Christmas, but all year long, is if we know the God of peace, if we have peace with God, then we can have peace in our own hearts. That's not based on circumstances, not based about what's happening in the world around us because it's peace from Him. It's His peace. It's not my peace that I manufacture. It's the peace of God. It's what comes and guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then notice verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4 there. He says, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, Christ came so that we could have peace with God. Friends, when we have peace with God, the God of peace is now with us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And as we have the God of peace with us, then he gives us his peace. Not a peace you and I have to manufacture or conjure up or try to self-will because we never will. It's what he has given to us. And friends, that glorifies God. The angels 
praise Him in wonder as they look upon a broken humanity when life is tough and life is hard and we still praise God and we rejoice always. People around us can look at you as you walk through the trials of life going, how is that person rejoicing? How is that person praising God in this tough time? And He gives God great glory because it's a peace that the world does not have. A peace the world does not understand. And God is glorified when we have a relationship with Him that gives us His presence and His peace even when life seems to be falling apart. So friends, God gives us peace with him. He gives us peace within ourselves. But there's a third type of peace, I believe, that the angels are rejoicing at back here in Luke 2. As we can have peace with other believers. We can have peace with other believers. That the peace he's given to us is a peace with him, the, the vertical aspect of our relationship. It's peace in our own heart, but then flowing out that is peace with one another. And this is really no surprise as we've been working through Ephesians in our study on Sunday mornings recently that we just paused for a few weeks here at Christmas jump back into that in January. But as we've been working through Ephesians, we've seen over and over what God has done for us in bringing us together in a corporate identity with peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, who you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Well, it doesn't say the word peace there, but it's the idea of peace, that we who were far off, we were separated, we were alienated from God. We're now brought near. Brought near to who? Brought near to God. We now have been restored to a right relationship with Him. We have peace with God. And what happens when we have peace with God? It, fl- it flows out of that. Verse 14 here, Ephesians 2. For He Himself is our peace, who made us both one, and He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two. The two is a Jew and Gentile distinction. So making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, the hostility between other people of different backgrounds are now, that's done away with because we have peace in Christ. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Friends, the whole theme of Ephesians we've seen over and over and over again is that if we are in Christ, if we have peace with God, we can have peace with one another because we all have equal access to God. It doesn't matter what our racial background is. doesn't matter what our ethnic background is. doesn't matter our socioeconomic status, that we have equal access before God. And what follows in the rest of Ephesians 2 is that we are now being built together by God as blocks together as a temple in which he will dwell. Friends, if we are in Christ, if we have peace with God, he is bringing us together to have peace with one another. And that brings him so much glory. Think about that. Whereas the world divides on racial lines and ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines, when the church is the church and people of different racial and ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds all come together, people who have very different interests and personalities, but they come together united in peace in Christ as the church, it does something the world does not understand and it brings God great glory. Friends, but the reminder for us this Christmas season, as much as we long for that as we've seen in Ephesians, we can only control if we show peace to others. We pray that others will reciprocate, but that's always not possible. Some people live in their sin and hang on to bitterness and anger and all the stuff that we've seen in Ephesians that we've been warned about putting off. So what do you do this Christmas season if in your heart you're longing for peace and you have peace with God and peace in your heart, but there's some brokenness there because of someone else's sin? What do you do? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. This is great counsel for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. And you may be at a place this Christmas season where you're going to be tempted to give up the peace you have in Christ because of some conflict, because of some wounding word, because of some hurt that you have. And the command of Scripture is repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Then verse 18, this is amazing. If possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Friends, we long for peaceful, harmonious relationships. God put it in us. And the day is coming, friends, when we will be in heaven and sin is done away with and brokenness is done away with and we will have experienced the peace that we long for where everything is in harmonious, peaceful relationships. In this world, though, we'll give an account to God for how we have lived at peace. We can't control other people's response to that. And so as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. And friends, this Christmas season or any time for that matter, If there's a place to where you've done all you can by God's grace to reconcile and be at peace and someone just will not be at peace with you, you you don't have to live under the burden of that because your conscience is clear. If you have peace with God and peace in your heart and you've tried to extend peace to them, they'll give an account for how they respond. Friends, Jesus has come to glorify God by giving us peace. Peace with him, peace in our hearts, and peace with other people. Believers. With that in view, I want you to hear a few words back from Luke chapter 2 as we wrap up this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, just a few highlights. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So friends, in this Advent season, I just want to ask you this morning, first of all, do you believe this baby that we're celebrating is in fact who verse 11 says? That he is the Savior, that he is Christ the Lord. Because anything we want in terms of peace has got to start there. Do you really believe that this baby in the manger was really the one that angels had worshipped for thousands of years, who has now humbled himself and come as a baby to fulfill, to live perfectly, to fulfill the law so he could go as our sacrifice. Notice the terminology back in verse 11 here for us, that he is the Savior and he is the Lord. Friends, I can't emphasize this enough. You hear me say it over and over again, but when we trust Christ, it's not, I just want my sins forgiven so I don't go to hell. I'm trusting him as Savior and as Lord. That means I desire by God's grace to submit my life to him, that I want him to be my boss, my master, to order the steps of my life, and I'm going to submit to him. So friends, this Christmas, are we celebrating one who we're trusting as Savior and Lord both, that we have peace with him and we're now seated at his table? If not, that's where we need to start. But friends, if you have trusted in him and you know that by his grace you love him and by his grace you want to submit your life to him as Lord and you really do experience peace with him, Friends, out of that, my next question for you is, has that, that relationship led to peace in your heart? The reality is we all live in a broken world. We all feel the effects of the curse every day in just very different ways. Friends, as we feel the brokenness of the world and we feel the effects of the curse, are you finding peace in your heart regardless of what is happening around you? If not this Christmas season, I want to challenge you to meditate on what we just read in Philippians 4, or what we read in John chapter 14. But then I want to ask you, have you asked God for peace in your heart? When was the last time you and I stopped and prayed and said, God, life is stressful. There's a lot going on. I'm feeling the effects of brokenness. God, would you give me peace in my heart today, even though around me, circumstantially, they would make no sense otherwise? When was the last time we asked in faith for God to give us peace in our heart, the peace that the world does not understand? My encouragement to you this Christmas season all year long is let's be a people who go to God and say, God, you have given me peace with you, but God, I want peace in my heart. My heart is anxious. My heart is worried. Would you give me peace today that is supernatural that can only come from you and see how God answers because you're his child and how he loves to bless you with his presence and with his peace. Then my third question for you, friends, is not only are we trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, not only do we have peace in our heart, but friends, do we have peace with other believers? Friends, this Christmas season, is there someone that you're, who claims the name of Christ that you're estranged from, that you have a broken relationship with, you just kind of become content 
to not live at peace with them. My challenge to you from the Word of God, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with with all people. I pray this Christmas that we won't continue to let old wounds fester, that we won't let, as we've seen in Ephesians, that we'll put off bitterness and anger and clamor and all those things. And by God's grace this Christmas, we'll put on peace in our heart that extends to peace with others, that we can be united in Christ. As I pray this Christmas, our experience will be all that and ultimately be what the shepherds found in Luke 2.20 is they, after they'd seen Christ where he was and they'd heard the angels proclaiming peace, they glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen. I pray that will be our experience as well, regardless of what circumstances we're in, regardless of what's happening, there will be a people who have peace with God, peace in our hearts, and peace with one another, and we will praise him for it. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us who you are, God, that you have put your glory on display for us to see. And Lord, I thank you for the way, even the testimony of these shepherds who, when they encountered your glory, they worshiped you in response. God, I pray that be true for me and for each of these precious brothers and sisters. God, this Christmas season, we wouldn't just get caught up in the busyness of the holiday parties and the family gatherings and the food and the presents, but God, that we would understand how Christmas is your glory on display, how Christmas should change us. Lord, in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, God, would you give us peace, peace with you and peace in our own hearts, God, that can be supernatural. I pray even, Lord, as we experience peace in the hardships of life, I pray even this week you might put people in our lives who are non-believers who ask questions of how do you have this joy? How do you have this hope? How do you have this peace when life is hard? And God, that you'll make us ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. God, I pray as well that you'll give us peace with one another. We've seen it over and over in our study of Ephesians that you desire the church to be one, that we're to be united. And Lord, I pray if there's any division between even anyone in this room or any division that anyone in this room has with a family member or a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker or a classmate, God, you would give us much grace this week to be a people of peace because we know you, the God of peace. I pray this week that we would be peacemakers in all that we do. And the God, that you'll receive great glory through what you do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?